Welcome to Authors in Chains, by writers, for writers. Hosted by J.R. Ryu, Ray Burton, Robert Davies, and Ray Bailey. Today in our 11th episode, we'll be covering things like connecting to a story emotionally, as well as a myriad of other subjects. So let's get started. I had picked up books by two authors who will remain anonymous for their protection, whose books I usually like. However, these two books um, were, were boring. They were horrible. They were trying to tell a story that was once removed. They were trying to filter the action through the characters instead of actually giving you the action. It didn't allow you to become invested in the story. And I think it was a bad way to tell the story. So we'll kind of cover good ways to tell the stories and bad ways to tell the stories. Um, that being said, I'll explain a little bit about what that means. Uh, there was a giant volcano that exploded. And instead of, you know, pulling yourself to a character who's in a town near the volcano, so you get the, the rush of smoke and heat and actually experience it happening, you hear about it from a bland character who's once removed from the action. And it just kind of killed the entire big action sequence of the story. Um, and that disappointed me. Because yep. when when it, when a volcano blows up, I want to be the character who's going to the general store who's two miles from the volcano when the ash hits town and they, you know, burn up and evaporate. You know, that's you, the guy I want to be when that, when that action <laughs> sequence goes. Not the character halfway across the country um, going, well, the ground lifted and it was kind of, uh, there was a lot of uh, magma and uh, yeah, I don't want to be that character. That's boring. Yeah, you, know, see, you so. can do it from somebody who wasn't there's perspective. But they need to be involved in the story that they're telling. It, it's it's you can do it that way, but they need you, you need to, to descend into the story, story you, like you, they are an actual storyteller. They need to be standing there and saying, you know, what happened was the volcano erupted and it decimated everything for miles, and the ash cloud rose up to the stratosphere. Cool. You're experiencing their emotion towards the event. This wasn't even that. It was just almost like uh, stating a report. So at least there's that. I mean, I prefer the direct emotion of the action of whatever it is you're doing because it ties you closer to that event and also the story. But if you do do it once removed, at least you get that denial, depression, horror, something from the character that at least ties you to it. So ask the overall, are we recording right now? Yeah. We are. Okay, so ask the overall question. Because <laughs> the overall, the overall I mean? question, please feel free, Rob, ask the overall question. No, you guys, I, you, you do it. I'm, I'm it's, afraid. It, it, <laughs> Jeez, I'm afraid. Okay. What is going on today? Causing an emotional investment to your reader to draw them into the story. Because if you're not emotionally invested and you're not writing from a point where you are absorbed in what you're writing and feeling what they're feeling, you can't portray that. So and the question that was the you work. talked about, though, hold on, go back, because you had it, you framed it much better. You had an, a, a, a binary question. Can you write a book mechanically without with, uh, allowing yourself or deliberately avoiding diving in with personal emotional attachment to your story or can you do this from a detached perspective without that personal emotional attachment and still and come up still with an effective 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say no. Do it. I'm going to say a lot of people say yes, no. you can. I'm telling you, as somebody who has read thousands of books, and that is not an exaggeration. I can't even name all the books that I've read. That I can tell if you are not emotionally invested in your book. I can tell the difference between when Dean Koontz was writing and he was putting his books full of the passion. You can feel it in those stories. But his more recent stuff is more detached and it's not as invested. It's like he's um, he's churning them out instead of involving himself in the story as much as he used to. And I think that's sometimes a product of time and somebody that has a lot of demand for their stories. But some people just don't get emotionally invested and your story is not good. Let me be, let me play devil's advocate. Does genre have anything to do with it? In other words, are you are do you have that freedom in some genre where you do not in others? The obvious would be a romantic story. I can't imagine how you could do that without being a romantic, uh, somebody who's emotional. But someone who is writing um, maybe uh, a science fiction story that is somehow distant in its construction that there is a an element of callous detachment that's needed to convey a story so does genre affect this or is it you're either in your story or you're not and it doesn't matter what is your take i, I would say you're in your story and it doesn't matter in all honesty because you need that attachment to be able to bring the reader into the story you have to have that bridge so they can cross it have, any, have, have you ever tried to write a dispassionate story? I yeah. don't know if I can. I agree with that one. I don't know that I can either. I become very emotionally invested in these stories, and uh, I have. I and I remember rolling my eyes when I see people in authors in our Twitter community that will pop up with a post and they're dribbling and they're pissing and moaning and snots coming out of their nose and they can have to hold on to their ass because. They just killed one of their characters. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, you, you're, you're so neurotic and stupid at this point. But then I withdraw from that and I analyze a little bit better for a moment. And I think, how would you, if, if I was that social, which I am not, to announce <laughs> to the Twitter people that I just killed one of my characters. Yeah, I don't. You know, what the hell do they care? But Unless if it's a marketing were, thing, I'm not going to do it, yeah. Exactly. So that's a personal preference. But... I had to think about that. Am I, do I become attached to my characters? It is a, is it a function of emotional uh, investment commitment? And I don't think, as Ray said, I don't know whether I could write a story without, uh, when I tell myself the story, I, sometimes I, I come to points at which uh, I'm, I am emotional about it. I'm either pissed or I, f I feel sad or I feel uplifted by something. Those are powerful emotions. And that shows up, as JR said, in the final product. Ray Burton, what do you, you're, you have spent most, most, a lot of your writing in matter of fact nonfiction stuff. Now that you're diving into fiction, how does that hit you? You're kind of the new fiction kid on the block. So. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to this and I was thinking, could I even do two sides of this? And so there's, there's a couple of things that I was thinking while everybody was talking. And I'll get back to what you just asked me. But the first thing I was thinking is I think that speed has something to do with it because when you're inexperienced like I am, 
it took me so damn long to come up with a character that I thought was cool, this color guy, that to knock him off right now, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, can I even make another dude like that? I like, do I have that ability? So for me, I'm like emotionally invested in the characters that I have because they're dear to me. But I think like JR was saying with Kuntz, if he's able to just like pop these people up like nothing, well, there's less of an emotional attachment to what he's doing probably because his speed is so high that it doesn't take as long and get emotionally invested to create it. I don't know. That was just a thought I had. But yeah, it's really so, the more good time thought. you spend, yeah. the more becomes formulaic have. versus passionate. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so you were thinking the other thing was when I come over from the nonfiction to the fiction was the question, right? Correct. Yeah. I, my fiction's thinly disguised. Like, I, I don't know if I'm original enough yet to be able to pull awesome ideas. Everything is just thinly veiled me. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's all pretty emotional. I think. So I would say there's four for four here. Um, I had pulled a character off. I, I, I would be. Uh, it's interesting. I had a, 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 I had a passage in my WIP two weeks ago, and I had to make up my mind whether to injure or kill for the. <laughs> well, it sounds abstract and bizarre. No, it sounds remember, godlike. <laughs> it, it does, doesn't it? Omnip yeah, omniscience yeah. is easy yeah. to me. But I, I struggled with that, and I thought, no, nah, you know what? I'm there's no up your ass. I'm not killing this character. No, thank you. And that is emotional all by itself. Just making that decision. That's not a, a cold, detached analysis to reach mm. some sort of formulaic end to my story. That is an attachment to that character. And I'm saying, I don't have to bite me. I'm not killing her. Mm. Well, I, I mean, I did. Yeah, I did that in Vengeance, where I had. I came up to a point where I was going to kill a character and I spent almost two weeks trying to figure out which character to write. Eventually I wrote another character that I went ahead and killed. I couldn't kill my main characters. I just absolutely couldn't do it. No matter what I tried, I just, I couldn't right. bring and, myself and I should, to do I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I should have made myself clear. These are, these are central characters to my stories. It's my series. So yeah, they've been know. with me for, this is my third book with them now. Uh, you, you know, you can knock me down and stomp on my head if I'm wrong, but I'm not about to kill this character. No, thank you. I am a bloodthirsty, uh, a wash in entrails and broken bones killer of characters. They're not going to be mine. It's yeah. an interesting idea, though. Oh, go I ahead. didn't have a choice. The way the storyline, the way I write is the characters tell the story and I just write it down. So everything is determined by them, their actions, and the world around them. So when I had to kill off um, Charles, which was part of the um, uh, Romancing the Nanny series, I was shocked. And I sat there and bawled because he was a really good guy. And he had a lot of kids. And he was a great family man. And he was a good businessman. And he was leaving behind a family that, that needed him. And I sat here and bawled. And then I had to sit there and write down his family finding out. And I, it took me 
it took me hours and hours to write that scene because I just had to keep stopping and and just cry for a little while because everybody was so hurt and I could feel it and it was killing me. But it had to be done because that's the way the story went. Your readers, yes. uh, how different would it be for your readers there? My readers were, were traumatized. Yeah. They cried. They were like, oh, my God, this is so horrible. It, 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 I, I, I don't know how many comments I had. This scene just fucking broke my heart over and over and over. They were, they were talking about how, how heartbreaking it was and how, how depressing and how sad and, and, and that they cried and that their heart broke for the family and everything else. And it apparently affected them as much, if not more so, than it affected me. Ray Burton has military people in his stories who are giving death the finger every day and sooner or later death's going to give them the finger back. How do you give that treatment without running down the same path that we all do when we are faced with killing off a character? I found it very hard because uh, my first part, um, the straight military sci-fi stuff, I spent like the first quarter of the story with the main character getting attached to a new recruit and they became very, very close friends, did a couple missions together. I really liked them. And, uh, I was writing a scene and the moron stepped on an IED. Which is life and you can't avoid it. And like, so honestly, three minutes up to writing it, didn't know it was going to happen. I was just writing out the scene, like the the the, the APCs come in, the the coyotes, and they're in, they were in a tight street, and you know they started backing up, and 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 uh, kind of like a rickshaw thing came across, and my character ran out to move it, and I wrote it, and I was like, shit. Oh, and then <laughs> the story, which that sounds like Jr. Though the story is telling itself, you're the Scrivener. And it gets to that point. That's what that's, Jr. got herself into a horrible spot because that's where the story took her. She didn't have any choice. And that sounds to me like the same thing here. You have a plausible evolution of a story and nobody's uh, infallible. You get to a point to where there is death waiting and it hits her first because she sees it. It hit you first. Readers down the road are going to go, shit, I didn't, I didn't want to see this and this sucks. Because it's mirroring yeah. life, life and death, right? But well, this brings up another question too. Like in my genre, then, so you're like, you know, the reality. Of course, it's fiction, but you know that you're trying to put some plausible reality in there, even though it's fiction. Uh, you have like a main kind of crew of four or five main characters that are tight and knit together they keep getting knocked off. You're back down to like one main character and you're thinking, what am I supposed to do? Keep regenerating super cool people all the time. And how do I get emotionally invested to them and then keep killing them off because that's the reality. I don't know. It's kind of awkward. Well, I mean, this is like writing Vietnam or fucking Korea where, you know, it's, it's historically speaking, those people that were there in the war zones experienced the same thing. New people came in and guys that had been there for a while were, you know, getting to know them and bringing them into their group. And then 
they get into a battle and somebody fucking dies and they may have just known the guy a couple of weeks and thought mm-hmm. he was they actually but a lot of times when you're in a situation like that they don't really get close to somebody right away they tend to keep uh, almost like an arm's length distance to the fngs well but, yeah it's uh, like, con- like considered a mistake yeah, yeah. Yeah, when it comes to characters, I mean, you could always go the George R. R. Mountain, right? You write wonderful characters you absolutely love, and then kill every one of them. You know, that'll <laughs> solve the problem. So, so that takes me to my next question, and and I'm I'm borrowing from television, from video games. There's there are moments when characters die, in maybe in books too, because it's been so long since I really was an avid reader. I'm I'm more influenced by what I see in other medium of media of mm. entertainment and it and it irritates me when i see what i consider to be a death that is gratuitous or forced if you get my point you get to somewhere yes. where a book you're afraid that it maybe it's dragging and you need to smack your reader around a little bit and so you throw some good character getting killed that's that lame. is that is aggravating as hell to me and it's why yeah, that's lame. It's my, it's pointless. If you need to grab attention, there are lots of ways to do it. You don't have to kill off somebody. But isn't that yeah. an expression of the mechanical, dispassionate kind of uh, production line writing? That, exactly. Right? That's what I got. When you first mentioned that earlier, Jr. I thought, whoever said to you, yes, you can, you can, it imme- immediately led me to the genre question. But now the more I think about it, I'm... I, I'm thinking, why are you writing is if if you're just churning out formulaic stuff, uh, and I, 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 I don't want to cast aspersions, but I'm going to, this is the the pulp fiction myth that maybe isn't so mythical. Swashbuckler uh, meets heaving breasts, damsel in distress, and somebody cranks this shit out as fast as they can because it's a paycheck. There are authors who a do. A lot of writers. romance novelists do that, too. Yeah. You'll notice that with, like, Harlequin, The for formulaic instance. bit, yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's housewife formulas. Book after book, some of them 6, 10, 12 books a year, and it's the same thing over and over. <laughs> I, mean, I, I can honestly say I've put away stories where I've lost the connection to it. If I'm writing a book and I lose a connection to it and I don't I don't feel it. I'll put it in a drawer till I do. Oh yeah. I mean, I won't. I won't force it. I guess mm-hmm. we have we have a quorum then because neither none of us are tolerant of uh, of production line mechanical writing. Um, but I, I, it would I've be, seen it though. I mean, I've seen it in a lot of science fiction. Yeah, yeah, we have. I agree. Where they get this, they decide to make the the the, the science part of the character, and it becomes almost dispassionate half the novel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about what about Devil's Advocate? Like, what if what if there's there's people out there that like cheap chocolate and they like it better than good chocolate. And if nobody made cheap chocolate, that part of the market wouldn't be served. So I mean, I'm sure there's a reason for it. I just can't, for the life of me, I don't think I could. I don't think we're part of the group that can write removed. But I bet you there are a bunch of prolific sociopaths out there. Well, well I'm sure there are. I'm sure there's a, a whole thing where they have a whole formula, they brain. run through it. Yeah. Well, see, that's a difference. <laughs> though. The psychopathic brain is not designed to feel emotion. However, 
they can understand it in the abstract. They can, they can understand that other people feel these things and they can see how it affects them. And through a long series of observations can write like somebody who is passionate because psychopaths are manipulators and using words is the whole way that they function. And writing is kind of, would kind of be a natural, a natural area for them to gravitate to. Right. Because well, that's, it's like the big game. Well, I mean, well, what's that, the, what's the benefit of writing in that, that formulaic, non-emotional, non-passionate way? Is it just to get out a book fast to put it up for sale? Is there a, I mean, from a devil's advocate standpoint, what's the angle? I think, I, I think there's a definite benefit to it. I think because once you become formulaic and prolific, you can you can hit all the tropes that are required and all the plot points and hit hit like click off all the boxes of somebody that wants specifically what you offer. Like like when I read a Conan book, I know exactly what's going to happen. Big right. Brute's going to come in. There is going to be a sorcerer. There is going to be a damsel in distress. There's going to be some stolen jewels. A big old adventure is going to ensue. There's going to be an ass kicking at the end. And I'm going to close the book with a big yay. And I, I guess from a formulaic standpoint, if you're if you're busting out, you know, 50,000 word books like a little series or a serial, maybe that might be the, the thing you do. But I mean, maybe I'll sleep better if I wrote like that, you know, because I've lost <laughs> sleep over books, man. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I've been well, in the middle of stories where I've turned around and been like, oh, my God, you know, I got to finish this because I don't know what the hell, you know, I can't sleep yeah, until I do. I don't think he'll sleep better because Robert, Robert E. Howard blew his head off. So that obviously didn't work for him. Yeah. Yeah. I can see why that'd be a problem. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, where's the problem? I, to me, the only the only style of book that is acceptable to be dispassionate about is scientific because any other nonfiction, whether it's history, whether it's a biography, whether it's politically motivated needs passion in it. And if you're not passionate about the subject you're writing, your book is going to be shit. I can understand the scientific articles being dispassionate because that's what they need to be. If you're writing science, it needs to be from an observer standpoint because you need to present logical, conclusive information that shows your theory, the testing, blah, blah, blah. But in any other nonfiction, if the person writing it doesn't have a passion for the subject, it's just a bunch of information. It's like reading a freaking textbook. It's boring. It's pointless. That's exactly what Rob was saying with the genre thing. But damn it, if you're writing history, you better love what you're writing about. That's it. That's what I was going to say. When Rob was saying genre, how that can affect it, that's just it. If if you have, like, JR, you have a passion for what you write, right? Like, we all have our passions. But if we were forced to switch genres into something we didn't like, we would have a harder time because there would be no passion. Well, see, there's a difference with me is because I write in numerous genres. I can write just about anything. I can write a freaking tech manual if you ask me to. I won't like it, but I'll do it. But I'm not normal, and I'm not the standard. But yeah. if you ask me to write a scientific article, you better hand me a whole stack of facts and figures so I can like sort this shit out because this is not the way I write. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, if I was going to write anything, I have to, I, I have to be able to connect with it. If I can't connect with it, I'm not going to write it. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, that's what it comes down to. Because it's, it's not, not for the money. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, I wrote romances to challenge myself because romance is not my area. I am not a, a big gushy, romantical, lovey-dovey person. Some guy walks up bringing me flowers and shit. Uh, okay, that's nice. What's what do you want? <laughs> because that's not the way I work. But horror, fantasy, action, those I can do without even thinking about it. So right. I think genre thing is when people limit themselves, it's because they're not ready to explore or um, expand their creative base. But again, I've had 40 years of writing to do this shit that I've never shown anybody until the last couple of years. So, you know. Well, here's, uh, an, here's when I, my book that's just going to release in about 10 days. Ooh, <laughs> I am oh, way. We got a release. I got a release. We ha- I am way out of genre. This is insane out of genre, and I and I'm I'm not convinced it's going to work. But what I when I went through this, it's a paranormal romance story. Now, can you imagine me writing anything of this sort? Because were you into it? Like you were into it, though, right? <laughs> exactly, and that was that's my point. So I shift mm-hmm. genre, and and I did it deliberately. I didn't think about the emotional investment because I, again, as, as J.R. And, and Ray said earlier, I'm not sure that I have it in me to write dispassionately uh, in fiction. And I, I found myself even in that bizarre, weird place creatively following the steps that I always take and the, the, whatever it is that compels me to write governs that I'm okay. I'm covered in the process and how I create and how I craft and write and all that stuff. But I had no less uh, emotional investment in my characters than I do writing my science fiction or post-apocalypse stories. I, I like some of them. I dislike some of them. I'm creating them. And I, and some of these people, I hate them. I'd look, I'd kick their ass if I could see them on the street. I can't stand these people. But that's part of life. So in that emotional attachment, whether it's a negative or or I adore them, is no different outside of the genre I have always written in. And it tells me I can't do this with a detached perspective. That's the lesson that I learned. And it's good that you're expanding yourself into another genre that you are not necessarily comfortable in. Because that's how you challenge yourself to get better as time goes on. Because if we don't well, challenge yeah, ourselves, we remain stagnant. And, and we, have to constantly, we have to constantly evolve. What, what do you say to somebody who says, write what you know, go stay where you're comfortable, you're wasting your time out of genre? What, you don't have a problem, JR, because you've been there all along. Ray Bay just jumped out in his work in progress. He's out of genre. But I did it on purpose. I, I mean, I, you, you get into three or four books where you're in that genre, you're comfortable, you know it. It's you know it becomes a thing. But then you want to spread your wings a little bit. 
and, and I get where you're. I mean, I, I get where you're coming from in that set because you want to kind of go outside your comfort zone and and stretch those creative muscles a little bit and see if you can do it. I mean, and that's where uh, it came down for me. When people um, say, I wanted to try that. Stay in your stay with what you know. I tell them you are limiting yourself in the worst way possible because writing is an art. Artists, musicians, writers, people that paint, drawers, whatever, all of these people are artists and creativity cannot be limited to a little box. It doesn't work that way. And if you keep yourself locked in a box, you're killing your own creativity and you're harming yourself in the long run because you're not allowing yourself to really become the artist that you are capable of being. Do you think, Jr., that at some point people who may listen to this podcast, newbie authors, writers who are trying to get published and so forth, is it inevitable that in your estimation, and I'm asking, it's, a, it's, it's an open-ended question, do you, do you think that writers at some point are going to, even if they're conscious of it or not, I did it deliberately because I wanted to see if I could, so did Ray. But is that really what it was? Was was I doing this because I'm the noble, brave artist looking to expand? Or is the nature of writing such that it pushes you to leave your neighborhood? You're, you you grow up a little bit and you're not as afraid of crossing the street. And you it's go down by... It's a of both, actually. It's, it's natural as an artist to want to expand yourself. And because of that, if you're open, you will allow yourself to follow whatever it is that your creativity requires of you. And then this, you're saying the difference is how you treat it. You're going to get there at some point, whether and whether you're just naturally expanding and growing as a writer, or if you're thinking something through saying, you know, I need to do this. I have to do it. In other words, you're, you're, you're pushing yourself as opposed to being pulled by the natural process. That's how I'm framing it. Is yes. it, and you're saying that it's a little bit of both. It is. Well, both. I mean, it's, it's easy to stay in your box. It is. If you're familiar with something, if you're like, I'm writing the one series and I, I'm for the characters, the world, it's really easy to do that. It's really easy to stay there. It's harder to go, okay, I'm going to not touch that. And I'm going to come over here and I'm going to do something I haven't done before just because I want to try it. And especially for writers, we all have self-doubts. So going into a new genre compounds that. Um, And it is hair-raising, to say the least. But I think at the end, it'll be rewarding. And in in reading a number of philosophers and uh, comments by numerous artists over the years, I have learned that the, the most talented most successful, most admired, most creative people that you see are the ones that allow the creativity to take the course that it needs to and are not afraid to challenge themselves to do something that they're not sure they can do. And time and time again, Michelangelo, Da Vinci, it just goes on and on. The list of people who allowed themselves to go into different areas for various purposes and in doing so allowed their creativity to expand. I mean, I I don't know how familiar you are with Da Vinci, but he was way more than a painter. He was way (laughs) more than an engineer. The man had creative 
Juju like spewing out his ass. The guy could do anything if it was related to something that he could. Well, actually, there's there's no relation between some of his work. Now, the I mean, original Renaissance man, it was him. Yes, maybe Brunelleschi to a point, but it was it was Da Vinci. Agreed. And it's it's why the real artists end up standing out, whether it's later on and way after they've died or even during their lifetime. But it's those artists that allow their abilities to expand into other areas that really make the impact in the world that they're that they're part of. Ray Burton, your fiction journey began with descriptions of modern day military engagements mm-hmm. do you think do you have you thought do you consider what it might be when that moment arrives and you feel yourself pushed to expand into another genre what would you consider have you thought of it considered it well while you guys were talking i was thinking about this whole reason of why we tell stories and I think why some people are passionate about it and other people aren't. And I was thinking the reason that I write stories is because there's something that I'm trying to say. And so the vehicle can change, the genre can change as long as I'm creating around that story. So for example, Initially, I, I, there's a lot of things about death that really pissed me off. And I thought that military fiction, but based around, you know, modern stuff, so it was more real, <clears throat> would be a great vehicle to open up those conversations in a fictional way. And that slowly, as I rewrote it, I, I also really hated sort of the oppression of a overbearing big brother sort of thing, you know, lots of like bylaws and rules and lot lack of freedom and stuff. And that sort of pushed me into the dystopian sort of area, which would allow me to tell that story. And, and then I was thinking, what about a guy that gets crushed as he's hitting 40 physically? He doesn't feel like who he used to be. How does he get his mojo back as far as fitness and all that sort of stuff? And that's what I've been writing recently is a fictional account of a guy that tries to get back in shape. So I think for me, I'm, uh, if I switch a, a genre, it's because it'll allow me to tell the story that for me at that time is something that I want to say. And you're, you are getting pulled. You're not pushing. You're getting pulled. Which is part of the evolution of a writer or yep. any artist for that matter. Makes perfectly good sense to me. See, so, one thing he brought up is, you know, his his view of death is we all put messages in our work. I mean, a lot of my work will contain uh, situations where it addresses the poverty situation or the injustice against a certain group of people. Native Americans is one of my uh, big, you know, uh, big people. I will mention multiple times in some stories about about the situations that they're facing or the, the, the status quo of, of what's accepted and what's thought and what's reality. And poverty is something I address a lot. 
and mental health. And I always try to put these little seeds in there to let other, you know, to show other people that we need to step up as individuals and help this. And that's kind of what I'm gathering from Ray with the war, the, the, the horror of it, the, the way it destroys communities and, and families and societies. Well, it's like, so, like, you know, I mean, when you, when war you're just a lot, but war is not something you're going to be able to eradicate overnight. As long as there's two humans in the world, there's going to be war. It's just yeah, a natural but, progression of people. But when you, when you, when you go to a new place and you sit down at dinner and someone finds out you're, you were in the military and the first thing they're like is, Hey, did you ever kill anybody? Oh God, I like, hate that question. Oh, you know, fuck. you know, like, well, at least with some writing and stuff like that, you can be like, you know what? It's not the coolest thing in the world to do that. Thank God I never had to, but it's not the coolest thing in the world to do that. And you can write about it. And maybe some of these knuckleheads will realize like. I never understand why they feel they need to ask that question and why they expect an answer to it. It really. Yeah. yeah. And it comes See, up all the question. time. My it does. My question really is does. always, were you in combat? And if they say yes, I drop it. Because mm-hmm. I'd be surprised at how often you get the yeah, you get the have I you ever killed anybody? I understand that if they've been in combat, that they've probably killed somebody, they've probably seen people die right in front of them, and they have seen things that they would never like to talk about again. So I drop it right then and there. Hmm. Well, I mean, you would be surprised, and just from that perspective, how often in relationships when you don't talk about it, some people will try to pressure you into it, like they think by that you're not talking about it to them is somehow an affront. So yeah, there's, there's a lot dealing with that whole subject, but. So yeah, what is the common denominator out of everything we just heard in the last 10 minutes? JR is passionate about native Americans. She's passionate about mental health. Ray Burr has seen this, uh, the darker side of humanity in his battlefield experiences, his military career. Ray and I, I got shot at once, but I was in an airplane at 17,000 feet. I don't care. I heard somebody's feelings once. Ray <laughs> I had a very terse argument. I heard people's so, feelings every other day. So the, <laughs> but the, the common denominator is a buttress to everything we were talking about at the top of the discussion. If You're you right. Think we kind of this, zoomed out. We did <laughs> zoom out, but it, in tangentially, we have come back to the same place which is the emotional attachment, the, the investment in what you write. What I have on this podcast are like-minded people who do invest, whether it's a combination of reasons, whether it is a, a desire to, to make a better book, whether you simply have no damn choice in it. It is prevalent here. And my follow-up question to this is maybe not for commercial reasons that are perfectly understandable. Ray Burton mentioned earlier, this is what is required of this person and they write what the market demands. I get that. I understand it. Don't quarrel with it. But it makes me wonder what my writing would look like if I had no, or I should say if my emotional investment was diminished and it would be different in many respects. I don't know whether it would be marketable. I don't know whether I can write a decent story if I am 
writing it from a more rote mechanical perspective. Can I say yeah. something quick before we go on to that? Just with the way that that was last expressed there, Rob, I just want to make sure that it's recorded and accurate that when I went on tour, it was a peacekeeping tour. And uh, I would say 90% of my activities were build, were delivering building supplies and like allowing a free vote to happen, that kind of thing. I was not on combat. And I don't want that to kind of be out there because there's a lot of guys that have seen a lot of stuff and I don't want to try to <laughs> pretend I'm you know, I don't take, yeah. I, No, you know, and I don't mean to mischaracterize it, Ray. In, in yeah. I, I, but, but in your defense, however, I can go right into the place where I work every day and find a bunch of people for whom traffic uh, at an intersection is, the, is as close as they're ever going to get to personal peril. I don't think that applies <laughs> to you. Okay. You, you, I just wanted to yeah, say, you know, see, but I like peacekeepers <laughs> see bad shit. You're damn I mean, right, they do. Peacekeepers, the suppliers, they all see bad crap. Well, it, it's, it's yeah. I, I get his point. I, he's 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 shouting out to the people who were uh, who were taking incoming rounds on a regular basis. I understand oh, what yeah. he means, yeah. but it, yeah, yeah, by the same token, he understands the, what that is, what that would be like a lot easier than most people. Like I said, I got shot at in an airplane. I heard the AK-47 rounds rattle through my tail. Uh, it mm-hmm. was frightening and it was distressing and it happened all at once. That's not what the same a, a thing. Rock. is not bulletproof. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, they're not. <laughs> I, uh, I was not so. in a war zone. But it, it, but just in a crazy people place. <laughs> so to finish the thought, because we're coming up to the top of the hour, it, we have a consensus. You, it, it, your product, uh, uh, whether it is art or not, in our world, I don't. I, I would challenge someone, except a swashbuckler story writer. Uh, a harlequin writer, I would imagine you would be hard pressed to find anyone who, when examined, would find their writing process relatively free of emotional investment. I would be willing to bet that that is a recipe for disaster for most people who are creative at all. But, Agreed. But as funny as it is, we talk about the non-emotional investment. I mean, I've talked to many an author whose agent will sit there and take a book they've done and go, well, just redo that story a little differently and we'll release it again. You know, something or they try to push them into something that they don't want to write because they, they think it'll sell better. So you have an author who's being pressured to write something they're not going to be passionate about. I mean, but that's, that's a that's a jerk off editor or a jerk off yeah. agent, both of whom to me are oxygen thieves and ought to be removed from the earth. But we've been through this before. No, I'm not gonna go again. Um, <clears throat> for agents. I cannot stand agents. They're ugh, ugh. anyway. That is a commercial imperative, though. They're doing that because that is what, in their world, they are supposed to do. They're supposed to take somebody else's creativity and, in their estimation. Uh, morph it or mold it or adjust it to what they know will or what they believe will, they will be morph it. Yeah, they you know it's not the same thing. And I understand there's people who get wrapped up in what they're doing to the exclusivity of its plausibility, to the exclusivity of its ability to sell. I understand that. That is why these vile mollusks <laughs> exist. But I don't think they help that process. I think left alone, 
the creative process from an author, from a writer, is more trustworthy than someone on the on the in the agent chair or the editor chair who hasn't published right. a goddamn thing, but they're sure they know what your book ought to be. And that pushing that Ray just mentioned, it it's it it is a stifling, chilling, killing effect on the creative process. That is not the same thing as getting there uh, on your own because you have that emotional attachment. I think it brings right. something out of you. Do you know, I think one of the funniest things going is when, when Rob gets cranked up. I love it. It's, he needs to write like a book of, if you of Rob's Nasty AD Burns or something Rob, like that. Rob's Nasty you Burns. Oxygen, Rob's All Asians are you know, should stop yeah, exactly. breathing and die. They're the anti... <laughs> they're anti-matter. I don't want them anywhere near reality. Oxygen want, thief. You know... <laughs> I, I, I see them as mosquitoes and onions. The earth would be a better place without all. Okay, frankly, if I was going to go with an agent, it would be have to be somebody who is willing to protect my identity and to be the my arms, ears, and eyes out in the rest of the world. Because, frankly... I don't want to be out there. <laughs> I think agents I probably to. used to be that way 25 or 30 years ago, Jr. But the, the, the creatures that I see as agents today and this omniscience that they wield over so many authors is enraging to me. I think the industry changed so much with the advent of eBooks and self publishing and print on demand. And so many things have changed in that two or two and a half decade period. Maybe perhaps it was inevitable. I'm saying that they are, uh, Most modern agents do not do what they used to do. Correct. Exactly. Which so it's messed up yep. because it, it, the point of an agent was to do those things. Yep. If they they were your ally, they were your protector, and now right. they're self-serving, miserable, gutter-crawling filth. All right, I'm going down another See, rap. Mm -hmm. Rob really <laughs> likes agents. And, yep. you know, <laughs> okay, so we hey, have listen, a, since we're going to yeah. protect me, I would be cool with that. I would be willing to pay them some money to do all that shit and deal with all those people because I don't want to. <laughs> but, yeah, but, Today's standards are a little hmm. Anyway. What's that? Anyway. Uh, did everybody just shut down? No, I we're the air out of the room with my <laughs> hatred and my vitriol and my just unreasonable uh, pathological neurotic. I'm sorry, and I apologize for that to the listener. Um, so we here's <laughs> a fuel, anger's a but, fuel. <laughs> but we what we, we need is agents that will prove that you're wrong. Not he introduced that there are a me to one like that. But introduced me to. Right, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm, you're baiting me again, Jr. I'm not taking it this time. My <laughs> agents is a different call. What's oh, different shit, thing? Yeah, you are. So so the. The I, I wonder if we if folks who are listening to this and you have a perspective on emotional attachment, tell us, write something, give us your perspective. Jr. was right. This entire creative process, the engine of that creativity is emotional attachment. I stick to that. I agree with her. 
but I, I'd be interesting to see who, uh, if, if anyone differs or if they wonder too. Okay. Well, at the beginning of the call, I didn't know what the hell you guys were talking about, but upon further examination of our own voices, I would have to agree. Of our own voices. I like that. That's good. Now that I've gone back and listened to a lot of everybody talking, it wouldn't shut up. I figured it out. Yeah, okay. I get it. No, good to, good talk. That was actually a good conversation. We're kind of all over the place, but I think we had a, a good good productive one. Yeah, good start. I liked it. That that pulled out a couple of things that we probably wouldn't have got to in a in a different line. So that was a good topic. Good job. Thank you for joining us at Author and Chains. This is Ray Bailey with J.R. Ryu, Rob Davies, and Ray Burton. Until next time. Keep up to date with the latest news, opinions, tutorials, and more. Simply visit www.authorsandchains.com. Sign up for our mailing list to be one of the first to see any new information we post. Also, check out our Facebook page by searching Authors in Chains from the Facebook search bar. Last, but definitely not least, don't forget to check Twitter under hashtag Authors in Chains. If you have a topic you want to see discussed, or are interested in being on the show, or recommending someone who you think we should get on the show, contact us directly, either by going to the contact page on the website, or simply email shout at authorsandchains.com. We'll see you next week.